Welcome to the Overthinking It television recap of Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey, Downton Abbey. One day only, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. That's right, it's part six of everyone's favorite British psychodrama, and we're here to give you the ups and downs and the pig wrestling and the battle and Teapot Dome and the Battle of Jutland and all the other fun historical references, character arcs, thrilling conclusions that are approaching as the season winds towards its inevitable Christmas special and other sordid business associated with our lovely friends in Yorkshire. I am Peter Fenzel. I am joined, as is our custom, by my estimable friend, the Right Honorable Lord Matthew Rather. How are you doing, Matt? Point of personal privilege, Mr. Speaker. The chair recognizes the man from Matthew Rather. (laughs) Will the Right Honorable Gentleman please tell us what the hell Rose is doing with a black man in a boat? <laughs> I hope that's not a euphemism. That's no, all. no, no, no. Um, but you don't know, no, <laughs> they're rowing. I think the answer is rowing, sir. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're they are uh, talking about how they aren't going to kiss each other and then kissing each other. It's these kinds of dramatic reversals that give you that fuel to your fires that Downton Abbey is famous for providing. This was a, this was a great uh, Downton Abbey. I mean, this this was a good one after like a doer and actually the reintroduction of the sort of doer pl- plot line. Um, of the the Batesana stuff with uh, with the valet returning um, downstairs and a lot of like portentous you know heavily underscored brooding looks back and forth. Um, I in my notes that I took on this episode I wrote OMFG like six times in the in the the, the uh, you know including you know. Uh, what are they going to kill Maggie Smith? OMFG. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to the previous episodes where mostly I just ca- uh, typed ha 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 in capital letters whenever I thought of Edith going to Germany. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but she goes somewhere far worse, of course, in this episode. Uh, almost as bad as where Mary goes, to the old pig farm. But yes, this is part six of the American series, uh, episode seven of the British series. Uh, we're keeping track in both imperial and customary <laughs> measures of this assorted uh, uh, such. But yes, it was a bit of a return to form this week. It was fun. I mean, like last, last week was the true return to form. And this week is uh, a, right, a good old-fashioned Downton Abbey episode where social issues are presented with the kiddest of gloves, uh, where we see the pathos of the downtrodden uh, through the bleary and tear-filled eyes of the privileged. Um, I guess not of the downtrodden, of the inconvenienced, I suppose. The suffering suffering of the inconvenienced. Oh, no, the pig's trough has been kicked over. Does this happen a lot? Like, it happens all the time. The world is a terrible place. Um, So, uh, but yes, so I guess, yeah, where should we start for this one? There's so many big things. I guess we probably have to start with what you reference now, which is the illness of the Dowager Countess, Mm -hmm. right? And and her her being nursed back to health. Now, I don't keep as up to speed on the contract negotiations around Downton Abbey as you do, Matt. I don't know if the producers are trying to stiff arm Maggie Smith into receiving a lower salary for the next <laughs> series. Uh, and I don't want you to spoil anything, but uh, certainly this uh, would be a huge change for the show if the Dowager Countess were to sh- uh, to replace her mortal, co- uh, her mortal coil with something a little more fitting for dinner hour. Well, she though she was- ends the she ends it, you know, playing gin. Um, and, uh, you know, she's, she's back in form, you know, tolerating, uh, cousin Violet. 
Yes, having changed from her experience, it seems, at least uh, superficially, to having uh, established some sort of basis for mutual understanding, wherein she is the one doing the charity for Violet, right? Right, doing the kind act for Violet, which is such a wonderful, such a wonderful little realization, right? When the and not and on doctor's orders, no less, right? Where the doctor recognizes that you know she'd be doing her a service to be allowing her to be the caretaker. Um, I mean, what did that say, Matt, if, at least for you about the episode in general, about where the show's heart is? Is that where I mean, is that what you think it is? Yeah, it does. It does seem to be in in these sort of individual kindnesses done to one another. Right. Mm-hmm. That like uh, if if there's anything sort of ennobling um ennobling in human nature it's that we notice one another we notice one another's needs and from time to time I, that attention can penetrate penetrate through uh you know the veil of cl- of class and of uh you know and of of privilege and we can sort of see another person and and help them right there there was another um example of that near the beginning of the episode when uh mary hears from Mrs. Hughes the the slightly doctored story of what happened to Anna and convinces her uh convinces Lord Grantham not to take Bates on the trip to America to go, you know, um support uh support his brother in law, Cora's mm. Cora's brother, who who is coming to Downton Abbey, by the way, and who will be played by Paul Giamatti. Oh, marvelous. Oh, marvelous. <laughs> so so I, I, I suppose the scene, the sort of paradigmatic scene that unites all these things is the Irish political meeting. That happens in this episode, right? I've been stringing them together a little bit. Uh, but the, the Irish political – not the Irish political meeting, yeah. but the political meeting with the Irishman at it uh, <laughs> where, where, where Branson goes to the, to the political meeting and where there is the empty seat. The empty seat of the political meeting I think is somewhat representative of a lot of these sorts of relationships where he asks us if the seat is available. She says, of course, no, because she has a boyfriend who lives in Canada, the Dominion of Canada, or some <laughs> such. And uh, and then he he has then it is then pointed out in front of everybody that this man uh, should take this seat, right? And and as such, there's a uh, there's there's a little bit of an irony to it. There's the irony of it being refused, of him not really appearing to need it, but actually deep down you get the sense really needing it, not just the seat itself, but just the company and the people to talk to. Something that gives him a little bit more of a sense of belonging based on what's happened previously. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, say what you want about the futility of fighting with with uh, people about politics. At least it gives you something someone to talk to. Oh, yeah. It's a lot like magic cards in that respect. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I'm glad that, that they are shortly going to resolve all the political difficulties that uh, that England and, and the Dominions and Great Britain and the United Kingdom and all those other things have ever had. So, wait, Matt, do you have any – I don't have any hugely – uh, hugely uh, historical impressions of Lloyd George, who is sort of a looming figure in this season. Do you know enough about Lloyd George to give a little bit of briefing to people about what his context would be in this, uh, well, in this Peter, series? I mean, I, not a lot. I can tell you that David Lloyd George, the first Earl Lloyd George of Dwyfor, uh, who was born in 1863 and lived through 45, was a British liberal politician and statesman. His Fine. most important role came as prime minister during the First World War and immediately after uh 
He, so are you saying he led the wartime coalition government between 1916 and 1922? I'm saying that not, not only that, but also uh, he made a greater impact on British public life uh, than arguably any other 20th century leader. Thanks to his leadership in, in winning the war, his post-war uh, role in reshaping Europe and giving independence to Ireland, and his pre-war introduction of Britain's social welfare system, uh, which they've only, I, only gotten around to dismantling recently. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, that was, in fact, the first paragraph of the Lloyd George Wikipedia article. Except for that last little bit of editorializing by me. Exactly, exactly. And so, yeah, so jo- Lloyd George is, as a politician, uh, it seems, as representative of the social forces acting on Downton Abbey as you're going to find. This, this general sense of modernity, a modernity that takes many different forms that seem somewhat incoherent from one another, but which nonetheless uh, have the quality of disrupting the contemporary social order, or the pre-existing social order, as it were, the social order for the Granthams uh, in, their, in their place. So I wonder if there was, there'd be an analogous American president would probably be what? I guess Teddy Roosevelt based on time frame. Uh, but I don't know if anybody was really quite so modernizing. Yeah, um, but Ted, I mean, there there is a sense that, right, with with what Maggie Smith says about him, there's a sense that that he is sort of a modernizer, and he is he is moving like if you're putting in a government social welfare program, you're not you're no longer relying on the kind of uh, uh, patrician like noblesse oblige. Um, you know, the Granthams run a hospital, right? Uh, kind of social right. welfare, social welfare, social welfare by aristocracy. Um, and it, I mean, it also seems like he, he, uh, oh, okay. So I'm, I'm scanning through this. So I don't know. It's, he's going to have, he's going to partition Ireland into the current system where there's the Republic of Ireland and then, uh, Northern Ireland, which is part of the United Kingdom. Um, so, uh, Though they they are self governing now or something, I don't know. Someone can can yeah. fill me in on the details of that. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah. But it's it's also look. They they refer to him as a as a coalition leader, which means that his political majority, his parliamentary majority, is sort of shaky, right? And um, it's uh, meaning it's not all of one. It's not all of one party. It's it's uh, several parties sort of teaming up. Um, to, I don't know, defeat the Tories or something like that. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the standard parliamentary stuff. So that's just a little bit of, of uh, political context. There does seem to be kind of a new richness of reference that has shaped around the season. Uh, for a while, it seemed that the season was going to be a little bit weak in terms of historical context. The first season, of course, set against the devastating events of the loss of the Titanic. The second season or series, of course, set against the devastating events of uh, the World War One, And the third season uh, set against the devastating events of the second season of Downton Abbey. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, <laughs> but so yes, so there have been several things, that, and of course, uh, another thing that we know is that the Grantham's extended family in America has become involved in the Teapot Dome scandal, yep. uh, which you may be able to tell. I was talking with Matt about this before we started recording because it's been what? It's it's is it oil interests? Yeah, that was, well, he was talking about oil leases. So the Teapot Dome scandal was a was like a no bid contract uh, uh, that the government gave to certain certain private companies. And there were like kickbacks or bribery or something like 
that. Look, listen, listen. I mean, the Teapot Dome scandal was a bribery incident that took place in the United States in 1920. <laughs> All right. Okay, 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 okay. We got it. Got it. The point is that we might have finally, after the season is almost over, found the occasion for the season to exist at all, right? Which is the politics and economics. Because we've already seen the season that introduced the jazz age. We've already seen the whole, this is the 1920s. We have to act like it's the 1920s. You know, what is the historical backdrop for what's happening now? And it seems to be more the the political 20s. Uh, the, the 20s as a political animal is distinct from the 20s as a cultural and recreational animal, which was, you know, the, the, four, the latter being much more comfortable for the aristocracy to, to handle. The idea that you merely have to dress, I mean, dressing slightly differently, certainly it's funny to see a stodgy aristocrat complain about having to wear a ghastly tuxedo, uh, or even in this, in this episode, him talking no, about... No, I'm sorry, I mistook you for a waiter. <laughs> It's it's entirely more so for them to worry about you know whether they're going to maintain control of their land if there's going to be some sort of reapportionment right or there's going to be some sort of government control of the food supply that's going to be instituted right now this is like a 20s that is not oft discussed uh, I think at least in, at least I in my experience I mean people don't talk about Warren G Harding all that much except in terms of him being not particularly bright. Um, and, of course, this is the British version, which I'm even less familiar with. So it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Uh, certainly the jump to Nazism has not happened with quite the vim and Edith-driven vigor that I expected. But uh, it, it shall come. It, will, it shall march in, you know, inevitably towards its conclusion. I mean, Edith is very Aryan-looking. Wouldn't it have been a good plot if she had gone and, and become like quite high up as a socialite within the Nazi party? And season five of Downton Abbey could be about... Uh, uh, you know, I don't know, could be a, a very sympathetic look at Hitler's rise to power. I mean, Edith could have changed her name to Braun, and she could have been, <laughs> that would have been quite a move. If Edith <laughs> been Braun, and that's what was revealed that Nabby is all about. But no, Down Nabby has been about all sorts of fun stuff. I think the challenge is how do we make the economic and social developments of this part of history fun and funny, uh, or one challenge, how do we make it fun and funny for the people of this time while still seriously addressing social issues in a way that doesn't totally cripple our ability to tell a story about nice dinners? Uh, a good contrast, right? And, of course, we talked a lot about the, uh, the Anne and Mr. Bates plot, and we'll get to that a little bit later, uh, where it is right now. But Edith's abortion plot. Yeah, yeah. So that I, I was thinking about that, right? Because it is, it is a very serious social issue. I mean, it's clearly a very special episode of Downton Abbey, right? Yes. But, They're um, all very special episodes of Downton Abbey <laughs> these days. Each one handcrafted. Don't worry. Not all – or caution. Some, not all episodes of Downton Abbey go up in value. Some go down. They're like Franklin mint plates. Uh, <laughs> Um, but it, but it's uh, it's dealt with in a Downton Abbey way, right? And not in a not in a uh, Anna getting raped in the the cellar way, right? Yeah, like right, right. Um, because it, it struck me that that looking at those scenes, the the primary crime, moral crime of the uh, of the abortion place was aesthetic. Right. Was that it was dingy and that, you know, I don't know that the screams of someone or the cries, the sobs of a bereft woman from next door were were unappealing, you know, and that um, that that it sort of didn't delve too much, too much beneath that. Right. Uh, uh, Between sort of Edith's instinctive revulsion at the place and Rosalind's sort of relief that Edith has come to understand the moral horror 
uh, of of her plan to terminate her pregnancy um, by uh, through these th- through the dinginess and and unpleasantness of her surroundings. Right, right. Yeah, that, it is. It is nice that if she'll be persuaded by no other thing, it's the you know uh, semi opaque windows and a, and a uh, unmarked address are really enough to do the job. Um, but yeah, it is. It is interesting, and it also it's also interesting from the perspective of it takes a very safe sort of attitude, I thought, toward contemporary ideas of the abortion issue, so as not to provoke too you know fervent of a of a of an of a rage from the audience. I mean, it is somewhat of a cop out. Edith says no, but you get the sense that. At least she had a choice, and you do get a sense you get you get lip service paid to the kind of horror in general. But again, it's an aesthetic horror, as all horrors in Downton Abbey are. Uh, well, but, all the ones that. But I don't let, know. Me, let me let me make the case for this for the way it goes from a storytelling okay. perspective. Sure, I please mean, do. I suppose it, if she does have an abortion, um, there is a lot of sort of character. Uh, development and that's a you know certainly a like a very profound experience and you could follow that in in the character and follow the sort of character living with that uh knowledge and living with the repercussions and living with her feelings about it through time and you know everyone i mean you know whatever uh one's political persuasion like people are entitled to have feelings and sometimes feelings are mixed right and like that that could be compelling but that's not the show that downton abbey is right (laughs) is like getting deep and contemplative downton abbey is is a show about scandal and and things and now there's a baby that's going to be had right right and like so so from the point of view of like what makes a better downton abbey um right a, a show that is like a deeply moving and personal character study of a character uh, in 1922 who uh, has an abortion and, um, you know, what that experience is for her as as she lives with that decision through time versus, oh, no, what are we going to do about the baby? (laughs) Right. The latter is clearly the superior Downton Abbey episode. Yes, that's very true. That's very true. Uh, And and I think that yeah, facing facing the abyss and then sort of turning away from it is the way that down, one of the ways Downton Abbey has handled a lot of the more serious things that have happened. Um, I mean, certainly you know Matthew Crawley going off to war and coming back okay was a big one, right? Uh, where you know you, it's, this is not an all quiet on the Western Front kind of situation where. You know the uh, the devastation of all the death and the meaningless death is something that crushes the idea of Europe in totem. Uh, but instead, of course, he's killed in the tr- in the car crash and is is beautifully preserved. So yeah, I think I think that's good. I think what we're going to do about the baby. What are we going to do about my reputation? Right. Uh, and then and then the way in which Downton Abbey. And then how, like, how, yeah, exactly, how much, how much of this can I reveal? Because if it's an abortion, the answer is zero, right? I can reveal zero of this to to everyone else. But now there is a, now there is kind of like a gray area. It's not a, 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 a black and white line. It's a gray area and you can kind of edge into the gray area and, and push at it. And Edith being the kind of representative of modernity, the representative of the 1920s and the representative of social change, at least in this in this season, whereas by contrast, Mary is the representative of sort of uh, modernizing, but modernizing in order to keep what we have, modernizing in order to preserve what was valuable all along about about the old way. Um, the uh, you know she she 
she may carry water for the pigs, but as she says, they're, they are my pigs, you know, yeah. um, uh, Edith now can kind of edge into that as the representative of modernity, edge into that gray area and, and see how much of that she can reveal or how much she wants to, uh, how far can she let her family in or what's the plan going to be about all, uh, what's the plan going to be with respect to, uh, you know, um, soon to be born child. Right, exactly. And I can't wait to see that because that's going to be hilarious. <laughs> Hi, hilarious. <laughs> so, so, okay, so then if, if uh, Edith is giving birth to a baby and Mary is giving birth to a whole new style of being really rich, wherein one lords over not one's uh, stately way of living, but the amount of work that one does in order to deserve one's stately way of living, if that's the new value that's being instituted, look at me get my hands dirty down there in the muck. Um, what do you think about that? What do you think about uh, Mary getting in there with the pigs and the mud fight that ensued? That was that was one of my uh, OMFGs. OMFG, they're having a mud fight. Yeah, <laughs> was, was a note in my. Uh... Pretty much whenever someone on TV has a mud fight, I make that note. Yeah. <laughs> so it's some layer of me. It doesn't it hasn't happened a lot since the uh, since the second season of Gilmore Girls. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you missed out on some of the great mud fights of Ot Six on. No, I, I don't. I I don't even know. Um, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, look, in terms of the story, right, this is meant to demonstrate uh, – this is meant to demonstrate that Mary is, in fact, willing to fight. I mean, I, I sort of didn't know what the the stick-up of his ass guy from the government said uh, – uh, what he meant when he said uh, they're, they're not willing to fight for it. But he what he, he did propose – uh, an alternative uh, way of earning what they have or of deserving what they have, right? Like, yeah. because this idea, this arist- aristocracy, this aristocratic assumption has gone kind of unquestioned a little bit, partly because we like it so much about Downton Abbey and part of the pleasure of the show is being able to indulge in this, right? That that we have the things we have because we, in some sense, deserve them. Uh, and it's not it's not too good to look... Uh, too deeply into that, um, uh, right into that abyss and sort of wonder about this sort of profound emptiness uh, at the heart of our idea of deserting, right? Like, no, and, and not let's, let's remember Richard II and, and not all the waters in the rough, rude sea can wash the balm off of God's anointed king and, you know, by extension, his anointed aristocracy. Um, but uh, the, the stick up is asked government guy whose whose name i forget not evelyn but the other one um right. he uh, uh he he proposes to evelyn that like um none of them is willing to work for it none of them is willing to fight for it and so they don't deserve it right that there is a kind of ongoing effort there's a sort of struggle that is perpetual that's required to to sort of maintain what you have and through that maintenance through that upkeep uh deserve it rather than what a lot of the other aristocratic houses are doing and you know seeing uh box after box of their heritage sort Sort of sold off is how it's put within yeah. within the within the episode. Of course, the 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 trick, the catch, or one of the tricks, one of the catches is that while there's a pretension to a moral authority that comes from somewhat of a 
freedom, equality, you know, justice kind of place, the, the real interest here comes out of the war effort and that this is this, the nation, right? So the nation's chief concern in sending these guys is presumably that a large change in ownership of these estates, if allowed to happen through kind of disorderly market means, would cut down on the food supply that's generated by these farms, which is already off of its desired targets, which would make it more difficult for the country to support an army or support a productive economy in the event of another world war, right? And so it's not just do they deserve it, it's, it's do we have to do something drastic? Like this is also an era of, of when countries start doing some very drastic things uh, to reform themselves. I know that we've seen, you know, a world war, so that's not like it's the only drastic thing that's happened. But this, you know, we now have a USSR out there somewhere, right? Like we have the um, central planning is different than it used to be. So I, I'm going to think what I'm saying is that that Downton – so the question is, is the incentive of being allowed to live well enough of an incentive to motivate people to make the economy more efficient, which is the chief argument of keeping your hands out of the pockets of the wealthy, which is that like their existence allows the rest of us to do better, right? And so Downton Abbey kind of soft pedals that a little bit and says, well, it makes us better people, right? Like it's, it makes – you know, Robert is a better person. You know, Robert's unique personal virtue and his connection with the people in the community makes the town a better place, makes humanity a better place place to be. Uh, not necessarily that it makes it produce more food. Um, but yeah, but it's interesting because they claim to have this elevated sense, but really they're as interested in their own machinations or you know machinery, as it were, um, as I guess the Crawleys are. But I, don't, I suspect the season won't get into that sort of detail by the time we're done. But of course, you have seen the season. I have not. I have only watched up to the current episode. Huh. Um, yeah, you're laughing. You're chuckling at me. You know the mill that the, the the mill that's going to grind up all of my theories and spit them out. Speaking um, speaking of uh, of drastic things, we now know that Michael Gregson got to Munich, but uh, went out walking and never came back. Well, he's walking in Munich, walking <laughs> with his, his feet ten feet off the pier or whatever it is. Uh, so yeah, so he got to Munich and he walked away and he never came back. Which who hasn't wanted to do that at some point in their life, right? It was like head out to Munich. Just like go by the go by the rot house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah. So uh, so let's see. What else? I don't know. What else can we talk to? Hey, it's your podcast. You tell me. <laughs> it's our podcast. Look, <laughs> we have to determine whether we're going to work hard enough to deserve this podcast. All right. <laughs> this is something that might be stripped of us. So okay. So I dare. So is- I dare say. Well, let me say this. So there has been a hostility, pretty much nothing but hostility, between the government agent guy and whose name, again, I keep, you know, I forget it too, because uh, he doesn't have a really fun name. Uh, it, the hostility between him and Mary, right? And uh, it has been made clear to us from novel privileged government agency guy that this man now has designs on Mary, is attracted to her, might compete for her hand or what have you. Uh, and as such, um, this this distaste, this enmity, which was manifest in some degree of playfulness during the mud fight, will perhaps blossom into a romance. Now, here's my question, right? Is that like, in all of these kind of romance novels, this is a pretty stock thing to do, where it's like two characters, and they're from different social statuses, and but they're both pretty attractive, and they're, you know, they look each other in the eye and recognize a certain similarity, but they really hate each other, and they can't get along, and the guy's a real jerk, and the woman is stuck up, and then eventually, like, something happens, and someone's 
guard breaks down and there's a, a big event and then they come together. The thing is that those stories for me, when they're believable, have some sort of kernel of mutual desire, right? This kernel of like, I actually want to be around you. This kernel of, I like you, right? Like, which is like, I mean, what is the, what is the first thing? Yes, the first thing the pirate says within his mouth when he boards the ship is, you know, throw down your swords and, and surrender to Blackbeard the, the Grey. But the thing he says with his eyes is, I like you and I want to be with you, right? Like, and that's what, that's what causes these sorts of plots to be possible. Um, I mean, again, don't spoil too I want much. You to, but- I want you to want to walk the plank. <laughs> I want you to want to walk the plank, exactly. But I don't get the sense that this guy really has 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 ever really been fond of Mary up until this point. In no, which right. Sort of- I, I think that, and that's one of the functions of the the mud scene, right? Like, right. and it's very, <laughs> it's sort of misogynistic, right? Like, he needs to see the woman degrade herself, right, in yeah. order to have any sort of attraction uh, uh, to her. You know, um, she needs to become dirty. She needs to become one. One of the pigs, you know, uh, or like, right. or to, or to recognize perhaps that that um, that we're all pigs, or she's no better than the pigs, or she cares about pigs, or something to do with being pigs and being a lady. And here, let me throw some mud at you. <laughs> so, I mean, what does this guy have control of, over other than functions, right? And jobs, and functions, and goods, and production. Uh, and what does he have any sort of primacy over? And so if she is not productive, if she is not a worker, if she, then he has no influence over her. But all of a sudden he has this comfort, yeah, because of this. But the, yeah, so there, there is a sense, though. I, I did get a sense that, like, in his provocation of her, there, there was a, a sense of, like, he couldn't help poking the bear a little bit, you know, uh, in, even in the last, the last couple episodes. So that there has been something, like, maybe there's something in him. Maybe there's something that we'll find out about him uh, where, you know, um, where Mary has some sort of intrinsic fascination or where, where she has some kind of uh, familiarity or something, something like that, that, um, uh, you know, uh, that he is politic, that his politically, that, that his political commitments rather militate against, but uh, that he is nonetheless, he is nonetheless sort of drawn too. Uh, and, and that's been, I would propose that's been expressed kind of through his, through his provocation of her, the way I, it's childish, you know, um, the way, uh, the way pulling a girl's hair on the playground is childish, right? But yeah. this is, this is the guy, you know, who wants his ladies down in the mud. Right, right, right. It's, uh, I mean, the only, the only thing I know about him, I mean, and I, and I, I, was, I was of a similar opinion, I think, to you in thinking that there, there has to be something else about this guy to like, because otherwise I'm not pulling for him at all. I just see him as kind of a jerk. Uh, I mean, I want, I want him to succeed from a, from a job professional perspective because I want the British countryside to have enough food and all that other stuff. But it's like, where's his character? Where's the thing that gets him going? And you've intimated that we learn this in future episodes. The only thing that he does mention is that he was on what? The, Iron, the HMS Iron Duke at the Battle of Jutland, right? Like, is, uh, he was on it or with it. Uh, yeah, and what, he, it, yeah. he served uh, uh, under or alongside, or he served at the same time and in the same place as Lord Gillingham, and we right. don't know we don't know the details of that, but uh, but we right. we know that about him. There was actually also. 
there was actually also a moment, and it was subtle, but there was a moment when when Evelyn was about to say, after Mary had said something nasty about him, you know, uh, about how he's not ki- our kind of people, um, Evelyn said, well, actually, if you must know, and then the guy shut him down. Uh, so there, there is something, I mean, we get the sense that there is, you know, that this guy has a history that's a mystery. Ooh. <laughs> it is so nice to have, feel those little oohs and ahs and, uh, and, and little moments of, of personal surprise. <laughs> Once again in Downton Abbey, this, this show that had laid a bit of an albatross around our necks early in the season and has now cheered me up a little bit. I know when it first started, I was welcomed it back with open arms after the emotional devastation that was Breaking Bad, as glorious as it was. Um, <laughs> Only for it to sort of spurn my hugs and, and seek a little bit of an Ozymandias moment of its own. But then it gets come home again. Uh, like the HMS Iron Duke from the Battle of Jutland, in, in, which is, seemed like pretty serious battleship conflict with the SMS Koning early in the main fleet action. In January 1917, she was relieved of sleep. Okay, no more Wikipedia reading. <laughs> in fact, no more of this discussion of this episode in general. Uh, we, we should probably move on to other things uh, regarding to our website. But Matt, do you have any final points about this episode of Downton Abbey before we put it to rest? I want to, I mean, I want to sort of propose one final thing, which is that I think that there's, there is a typology of kind of male, female transgression or things that can go wrong between, between men and women here. I mean, uh, Bates uh, and the Bates Anna one is obviously the sort of tragic, uh, and and sort of very solemn register, um, but then also you know Jimmy and Ivy. I'd only ask what a million men would ask. I'd only I, I only answered what a million women would answer. Also the the uh, Ivy Thomas and Daisy love triangle uh, in terms I, of Ivy Thomas. I no no Ivy Alfred Alfred. You're that's some weird shipping that you got going on over there. That's that's worse shipping than the Germans at the Battle of Jutland. It would serve it would serve that strumpet right to uh, <laughs> you know to fall in love with with his um, while while he's uh, loving all the strapping young stewards. Don't be vulgar. What do you know about such things? I'm married now. I know everything. <laughs> I, uh, right. Uh, sorry. Yes, of course. Alfred, uh, Ivy, and and Daisy. That love triangle. Um, the Jack Ross and Lady Rose uh, love triangle. And Jack saying sort of what can come of this and sort of challenging her that like, yes, it's, it's nice and we like each other, but what what can come of this? And then in a sad register with with Edith and the unplanned pregnancy, uh, and sort of the suffering that she goes through because of her her feelings about that, and feeling like um, you know what she says to her mother. Sometimes I have bad feelings, and and uh, Cora says, "Well, it's the the feelings are are everyone has bad feelings. It's acting on them that that makes you bad," which strikes me as a, a very generous. Uh, way of of putting that right a very catholic way of putting it yeah absolutely (laughs) not 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 super right not super like uh the thought the the word and the deed are all are all of a piece which you know i don't know strikes me as being more but i don't know they're anglican they're 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 easygoing right (laughs) indeed indeed and and how much is the alfred situation like the empty chair situation at the political meeting too right yeah he's an he is an empty chair you know what i mean (laughs) 
that's someone's, not what I meant. Someone's <laughs> got to someone's got to sit on him. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll find that out. I'm sure in some future episode. You know, spoilers notwithstanding. But if you want to find out more about the recovery of the health of the Dowager Countess, you want to hear this discussion. To find out more, you should watch the show. But to find out more about what it means and to talk about it and to join in the conversation about all about all that stuff, as well as the uh, the the biting topic of who shall be perched on Alfred's lap when the merry-go-round comes to a close. <laughs> in Please uh, comment in the comments. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We're doing community right now. We've got Downton Abbey right now. Before too long, we are going to start hitting the heavy hitters with Game of Thrones and Mad Men will come back and all that other fun stuff as the year goes on. So we're glad to have you on board and we hope that you're sailing with us off into whatever sunset uh, is going to follow this bright new morning of 2014 television. So, uh, yeah, Matt, uh, any final farewell thoughts? As two, we, more, uh, uh, two more episodes. Uh, okay. It's time to return to America, Pete. All, all steaks and ketchup and hail fellow well met. <laughs> well, we do have an outfit for everything. <laughs> <laughs> and, and our, and our, uh, our outfit, our outfit, if you choose to go, and we do recommend you do, it can be found at www.overthinkingit.com, the website where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny... It probably doesn't deserve.